I'm Alex Marlowe, Editor-in-Chief of Breitbart News, and this is the Breitbart News Daily Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me on the second edition of the show, which will be a daily five-day-a-week broadcast. Wherever you can get your podcast, get it there by all means. Make sure to subscribe. Tell 10,000 friends and family members about us and leave a five-star review wherever possible. We looked at the download numbers from yesterday's show, and it was great. Thank you so much for that, and a huge credit to our producers here, Greg and Paul, who did a great job producing the show. Sounded really good, really crisp for a maiden voyage, and I couldn't be more excited. And if you want a bigger intro to me and what the show's all about, I get into that in some detail at the top of yesterday's show, so I encourage you to check that out. Um, Today we got a big one. It is Election Day in Virginia, and... I break down the Virginia's governor race in my opening monologue. I evaluate the key arguments and strategies from Terry McAuliffe and Glenn Youngkin, the two candidates there, and what it all could mean. Obviously, the momentum is on the side of Glenn Youngkin, who's really done a terrific job um, on the campaign trail. But will it be enough to overcome the voter registration gap and the cheat-by-mail efforts by the Democrat political machine? Uh, We'll know probably as soon as tomorrow. Um, From there, we get into Joe Biden's Build Back Better agenda that faced another setback, which is that Joe Manchin seems to not be cowed by the hostage takers of the far left Democrat Party. And I break down Joe Biden's epic nap that he took at a climate summit because, hey, the climate change, the threat is just so unbelievably uh, severe that Joe fell asleep. Such an existential threat, you know, fell asleep at the climate summit. 85-car motorcade at the one summit in the Vatican. Jet sets over to Glasgow where he takes a big nap, and that sends the signal that we're all doomed, I guess, or something like that. Today's interview will be with former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, who is a very busy man. He's working on a lot of stuff from um, a redistricting initiatives to backing specific candidates to giving, uh, I would say, expert commentary on our foreign policy and national security issues of the day. And all of that is to come, plus, of course, the call of the day. As always, going to Breitbart.com throughout the day, getting the Breitbart app. Highly recommended, as well as the SiriusXM app, the SXM app, so you can get the full three-hour show every weekday morning. And again, commercial-free on the app for the full three-hour show. Uh, This is the Director's Cut, the Breitbart News Daily Podcast. And without further delay, let's get into the monologue. Today's a big day. It is election day in Virginia, and that is where the world is focused. It's very interesting to see the closing arguments, and maybe I'm exaggerating with the world. Some of the world's focus on the climate summit. We'll get to that in a second. But the, in terms of the United States, the political energy is in Virginia, which will be seen as a bellwether, the first sort of referendum on Joe Biden, where his build back better non-existent agenda and his sleepy nature, literally, Uh, is coming into focus because the fact that the Democrats have not advanced a significant agenda and they've gone so radical in a couple of key ways, namely critical race theory, the embrace of that, uh, the trans hysteria where we have now accepted men going into girls' restrooms, even if that involves them getting raped, that we've decided all of a sudden that that's science. And uh, anti uh, and um, the anti science mask mandates that persist even as coronavirus drops in a lot of people's eyes as one of the biggest threats we've got going. Even as we know more and more that young people in particular have not been good vectors of the coronavirus from the start, and the people are 
by and large protected with vaccines at this point. If they choose to be, uh, we still are wearing these stupid masks. All this stuff coming into the focus in Virginia, and it is refreshing to see a tight race. It's really interesting because I know personally, I will give you some actual data and some information if you're trying to get a sense of who is going to win between Glenn Youngkin uh, in Virginia and former Governor Terry McAuliffe, who's running again, which is atypical. Virginia is typically you do one term and you're out. He took a breather and came back in. Uh, it's hard to say. The polls certainly are favoring Youngkin, but if you look at some of the early voting numbers, which we've written up at Breitbart, they are pretty big, and that favors Democrats. Because remember, that's why Democrats love to not have an election day. They love have they want to have an election month or election quarter or maybe election year. That's what they prefer because it allows for them to community organize the vote, which means maybe they're cheating. I assume they are to some degree, but even if they're not, they're certainly getting people who are otherwise not inclined to vote to turn in a a ballot of some kind um, with their ample resources financially and their incredible organization skills that they've been honing over the years and really almost perfected in a way in 2020. And it's very hard to keep up. Um, with any of those improprieties, the longer the Democrats have to uh, use the system to their advantage, to put it mildly. So um, so long as that is the case, so long as we have cheat by mail on such a widespread level, and still it's almost not even discussed that the number one priority for Republicans, if they want to win elections right now, uh, has to be reversing the anti-science changes to voting rules ostensibly due to the coronavirus with no major outbreaks occurring from polling places that we know of. Um, the fact that so many of the rules still remain in place that we put in place for the coronavirus shows you that the Republicans are not uh, seeing clearly on what are the biggest threats to them. Uh, but that is not a surprise to any of you. Uh, of course, the big tech industry seems to be stronger than ever also. And that was the also the number one manipulator of information heading into the 2020 election, which controls more votes than anything. What could control more votes than uh, manipulation? I'm sorry, the, the, uh, the, to be more specific, manipulation of, of, of information. Whoever controls the information, obviously, uh, controls the hearts and minds of the public. So we've concentrated the control of the information in the hands of one class of people, uh, rich, anonymous people in Silicon Valley, California. They get to essentially pick and choose winners and losers in terms of what information thrives. So with thus what is read, thus what is known. Um, so in terms of what I can glean from the trends, all of the momentum is on Glenn Youngkin's side that continued into yesterday. I'll give you a gist of what their closing, closing arguments are. Uh, the early vote, of course, is going to favor Democrats. And I do think that Virginia is a bluer state than many of you want it to be, because I do think the beltwayification of Virginia has occurred in a major way because I, I watched it firsthand. So uh, I'm not saying I'm overly confident, but certainly it's hard not to get your hopes up given the momentum and the high quality campaign that Glenn Youngkin ran. He, He ran a terrific campaign. There's just no doubt about it because he was able to focus on those key issues, particularly education. Um, He managed to not get too close to Trump in the sense that uh, Trump is so galvanizing to Democrats. They tried so desperately to make Youngkin seem like a Trumpian candidate, mostly to try to organize the anti-Trump vote. 
which is the biggest motivator for Democrats to turn out and vote at this point. Uh, let's be honest, even if we're Trump superfans, the number one way to get Democrats in the polls right now is to try to say that the threat of Trump looms in this race with this candidate. And they were able to do that effectively, though it was sort of ridiculous out in California. Um, Larry Elder, who I've known for maybe 18 years or so, and I was a fan of his long before I met him um, and worked for him as an intern. He, he's totally iconoclastic. He's his own individual. He's the epitome of a rugged individual. And somehow out in California, uh, he was framed as a Trump guy. I think he liked Trump, but he was far from a Trump conservative. I mean, Larry Elder was a uh, crafting his own political brand, um, you know, long before Trump was even a Republican. So the premise was absurd, yet they were able to do that in the media and the Democrat Party. Uh, they tried to do the same strategy in Virginia, and it didn't work for whatever reason. It didn't take. But the thing there where Youngkin was clever is that he was not anti-Trump either. Trump had a really big endorsement of him yesterday. Uh, Youngkin courted audiences like the Breitbart audience. He came on the show. Even he and Dr. Sebastian Gorka, who have had a beef over the years, Gorka's a Virginia resident and a friend of our show. And he even went on Gorka's show and took some uh, took some shots and he did well on it. So it's just, it's just good stuff. Good strategy in terms of coalition building, good strategy in terms of issues. And a great closer yesterday where he went to Loudoun County, which has been such a flashpoint. In a huge rally, lead story right now at Breitbart.com. Um, or, and uh, again, if you miss it, if you're listening to the show a little bit delayed, then uh, typically if I announce something's a lead story, it'll be somewhere lower down the page by the time you check out the, the broadcast. Um, but the thousands gathering in Loudoun County for closing rally, great scenes, just a lot of people just fired up. And the, the parents in particular seem fed up with the idea of giving the uh, uh, Terry McAuliffe ver- the, the reins of Virginia again, considering McAuliffe is, as I've said, a taller, chubbier version of Biden. Guy who's been in politics for way too long, he's got stale ideas, and is lost his fastball. But again, that record early voting makes me a little skeptical. Um... McAuliffe's closer is much weaker. It's the race card. It's what they do. They just do. He just does race card. That is it seems to be trying to make the race about Trump, which he kind of backed off of because it wasn't working. But uh, his big uh, media story yesterday was how essentially we have too many white teachers in Virginia. That's the issue. It's not the anti-science masks. It's not critical race theory. It's not the bathroom rapes due to the trans nonsense. Uh, it is that there's too many whites teaching the kids. That's it. We got to work hard to diversify our teacher base, McAuliffe said, lamenting the racial proportion of students of color to educators and ultimately suggesting that there are simply too many white teachers. Hannah Blue writes for us at Breitbart. So, and he went on from there, but that's all he really needed now. Just a, a this is the... If you want to, it's just a such a reductionist approach to the world. And if we continue to go down this road, we're just going to constantly be at each other's throats. So I don't know. Is that persuasive to you? Those of you who are fence sitters? Um, Maybe you should push more of the trans stuff. The trans, the trans narrative also seemed to escalate over the last couple days nationwide 
with this horrific video of this man pummeling this woman in this intergender MMA bout kind of makes you wonder. Because that's kind of where we're heading when it's a gender doesn't mean anything. This is, it was in Poland, so this was not an American thing, but you have a woman competing against a man, and uh, the man beats the crap out of a woman. Doesn't seem like a great idea, but remember, if gender is just a construct, if it's just in the mind, if it's not literal, if it's not scientific, if you can just decide, today I'm a girl, tomorrow I'm a boy, and if you don't respect me, you're a bigot, so long as we get that far away from the science and we get into this uh, panic that we're in right now, then this is inevitably going to be more and more common. The headline of the weekend for sure, Breitbart.com, was report from Penny Star Breitbart. Trans movement tells lesbians to accept that, quote, a penis can be a female sex organ. That's deep, deep stuff. A penis can be a female sex organ. How many of you are scratching your chin right now? A outlet called Spiked, which I was unaware of, had a article out that lesbians are being pressured to sleep with trans women. They're told they're bigoted and weird if they don't find people with penises attractive. The trans movement is reviving homophobia. You have to like how the wokeness is never woke enough. I said this yesterday in the context of Adam Kinzinger, who was very instrumental to the Democrats doing well, relatively well, I guess, in the last election. There were some, they didn't do that great, but they, they did well enough at least get the presidency. And he's getting kicked to the curb. He's going to have to retire because he's getting redistricted out. Because remember, you're never woke enough. It's one of the rules. It's one of the rules of the left. This is the until they achieve their utopian vision of woke SJW, communism, socialism, whatever that looks like. I don't think we'll ever get there. Then you're not going to be woke enough. People will continue to poke holes in your wokeness street cred. But this is this is it. Being a lesbian and being a empowered woman used to be solid standing with the SJW crowd. No, not so much anymore. If you're rejecting that a trans with a penis who identifies, I guess, as a woman despite the penis, if you're not attracted to that person sexually, you're a bigot. If you're having a hard time keeping up, that is the point. All right, more bad news for Democrats. Joe Manchin demanding clarity on Biden's agenda potentially imperiling the multi-trillion dollar package that they're uh, debating. $1.75 trillion, I think, for the infrastructure bill followed by a reconciliation bill, which a lot of the left wing wants to tie together. And Manchin doesn't really. And Manchin is getting attacked. He's getting threatened, and they're attempting to bully him. And he's not a dumb guy, and he gets that this is what's happening. He referred to it as a, as a hostage situation. I'm not sure that will slow down the MSNBC crowd. Um, Corey Bush, one of the least impressive members of our Congress from Missouri, I believe, said that the Manchin's concerns about the Build Back Better agenda are anti-black and anti-immigrant because there's some uh, uh, amnesties are trying to get jammed into it. So this is the thing. The personal attacks, the hostage taking, we will destroy you online socially. That's all the implication. We're going to make your life personally miserable, Joe, more than it already is, probably. Can't be super fun to be Joe Manchin. I got, I got to admit, very powerful. That's, that is exciting to a lot of people. It can't be super fun. But uh, he's anti-black and anti-immigrant, which means he's a racist. 
a life in the public eye as a Democrat, not woke enough. So I'm glad she says this stuff. And of course, she highlighted Breitbart. And a lot of people say, see, told you. They only got the race card. Um, So the fact that that is happening means the bill is in jeopardy. And I think that it was very striking to me to see Manchin use the word hostage because that is, uh, I I think, shows that he gets what's happening to him. And that if he enables the far left, the squad wing of the Democrat Party, then uh, he is only signing himself up for a, a tougher road forward. He has to lay down the law at this point. He says there's some House Democrats who say they can't support the infrastructure package until they get commitment. My commitment to reconciliation legislation. It is time to vote on the deal up or down and then go home and explain to your constituents the decision you made, he said. Hostage is not going to work. The bipartisan hostage bill. He also cited, this is big, that it's dramatically irresponsible to add to the nation's $29 trillion in national debt. Hurting American families are suffering from historic inflation, he adds. So first of all, remember how Biden kept saying how the bill pays for itself? So I'm not sure if Joe Manchin buys that one as well. Clearly not. And correctly noting that the Biden inflation is affecting a lot of families. And it does go on. I mentioned yesterday on the show, I filled up my gas tank for $109. Gas prices are the highest they've been. I think it's seven years, but the the data lags of it that'll go up higher. And you know it's going to get worse because Biden is ironically, or maybe not ironically, kind of begging OPEC to drill more, which even he admits is not a great look. That did come up, um, that he admitted there's an irony of asking uh, OPEC for oil while pushing climate change policies at the Glasgow COP26 summit, which I'll mention more momentarily. But Biden suggesting that that is an ironic thing is certainly... Not really a great use of the word ironic because we know why we need to have OPEC pump more money because we stopped drilling. We shut down all of our pipelines. Instead of coming up with more energy sources within the United States, Biden shut them all down in the name of green because the people who fund his campaigns, the people who fund the Democrat agenda, the people who fund the Democrat candidates are these people who are not just ideologically green, which some of them are, they're also in the green industry. They bet their fortunes that this is the future, the green economy, and they're trying to precipitate it. We saw it over the weekend with even journalists suggesting, like, why is it so bad if gas prices are high? We want people to drive less anyway. And if you look at what is motivating Republicans, it is actually not the same things that are motivating Democrats at this point. We've got a write-up of a poll that suggests that the coronavirus has fallen very far down the Republicans' priority list, still number one for Democrats. Uh, but it's a the economy, the Biden inflation, et cetera, is much higher up on the priority list for um, the for Republican voters, which shows you the disconnect. Democrats think the most important stuff are coronavirus and climate change. Republicans think it's the Biden inflation, immigration issues, et cetera. So more on that at uh, Breitbart.com if you want to check it out. So I'll tell you one reason why I think that Joe Biden has failed to sell his green agenda to the public. It's because he does stuff like falling asleep when he's in the middle of a climate change summit. Now, let me ask you, if this is a summit about some sort of a literal terror attack on the United States, uh, do you think he'd be falling asleep? How about if this was a summit on Trump's handling of the coronavirus? Do you think you'd be falling asleep? Do you think if this is a summit on January 6th, 
the worst day in the history of the United States by far the worst day. We've never had a day that bad. Do you think Joe Biden would have fallen asleep during it? No, because those are all things that are treated as legitimate threats, whether or not they are. But if he's sitting there in a climate summit, which is ostensibly the last best hope for the West to save lives from the melting ice caps that will swallow us all up, this COP26 summit in Glasgow, he t- takes a snooze, takes a nap. He's literally Sleepy Joe, as people were pointing out online. It is the return of Sleepy Joe. I mean, he couldn't keep himself awake. I, it would have been nice if he stood up and did the, his, you know, Beavis impersonation. Put his arms by his side, clenched his fist. Man, that was tough. I can't get over how tough that was. Um, but he just, just took a snooze, took a header, because climate change really is that serious, guys. He's so serious, he needs a nap right in the middle of the summit. Then he's going to ask OPEC to drill, stop drilling here. Of course, the summit is a big joke. China is not participating, which sends a signal. doesn't make difference because China, by far the biggest polluter in the world. Uh, as much as we cut in the United States, China is increasing their pollutions, their pollutants that they're releasing in the environment at a faster rate than we're able to cut and that responsible nations are able to cut. They're building new coal-fired power plants right now and no one's going to stop them and they don't even care. They're not, they're not listening to you. Uh, Russia and Saudi Arabia also don't care either. So, and instead of trying to bring them to the table or actually doing what they need to do to get anything done, which is bring them to the table, they have, a, you know, Prince Charles standing up and calling for a vast military style, whatever that means, campaign to radically transform the global economy. Literal royalty, not figurative royalty, literal royalty. He's the spokesperson for this. The super duper elite. I got to say, I'm more compelled by Greta as a spokesperson, a climate kid who took a big break from high school to go tell us how we're all outrageously destroying her future. That, to me, is more credible than Prince, than, uh, Prince Charles telling us about this. Then we'll be right back. Next up, always a pleasure to speak to Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, one of the sharpest guys in Washington and very busy right now. And I get into his take on the Virginia race, the, uh, the situation with China, the climate summits, the absurdity of some of the optics that have come out of that for the Biden administration and his agenda. And also, interestingly, the media's efforts, I believe, to pit him against Donald Trump, who worked together very well when Trump was president and he was secretary of state and he is a candidate potentially for president, maybe even if Donald Trump runs, which would be very interesting and I believe could be very exciting if he does choose to wage a primary battle against Trump. I have no idea if he would or not, uh, but clearly if he does, the media is going to try to make it as uh, bitter as possible. And they're already on the march in that regard. That comes up as well in the interview, as well as a breakdown of his uh, redistricting um, efforts to try to uh, protect I think Republican interests when it comes to redistricting battles that are afoot at the moment. So all that right now, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, let's play the interview. 
Secretary, great to have you back on the broadcast. Uh, let's speak about what most of the nation, I think, politically will be talking about today, which is this race in Virginia. Is there anything in the race that has caught your eye so far? Uh, do you think this could potentially be a bellwether for what's ahead in 2022? Um, do you think this puts a, a win for the Democrats, puts Biden in a much better position? I think it probably does. But any thoughts? Well, good morning. Thanks for having me on. Uh, my observation of this race in Virginia is that the American people are sick and tired of what they've seen these last nine months. And frankly, even before that, uh, from the progressive movement, they, they saw a government that wanted to control kids. And the, the central issue has been this idea of, are kids just creatures of the state? Do they belong to the government? Does the government get to tell parents exactly what those kids learn? And I've seen parents all across the state of Virginia. I went out and campaigned alongside Governor Yunkin, I hoped Governor Yunkin, uh, and I watched parents just react to the fact that uh, McAuliffe and Biden and all the folks who came in, the vice president, the president, all who came into the state, all, all campaigned on the center. Somehow this is just a, this is a culture war item. Uh, this is not about culture. And so I think this is a bellwether in the sense of I think Americans have been awakened to what's happening in our schools. We're being, they're being taught that there's an oppressor class we all know that's wrong, and I think that's why you're seeing the good results that I know we're going to see today. Whether it'll end up being enough, I suppose, is hard to know. We'll find out tonight, but make no mistake about it. I think the American people don't like the way the country is headed and are looking for a reasonable, balanced, capable, conservative leadership, and I think that's what uh, Glenn Youngkin has presented to the people of Virginia. Yeah, I think uh, Terry McAuliffe is in a way an a overly familiar face, a Democrat machine politician for uh, as long as I've followed politics. I'm in my mid-30s. He's been around. And his closing argument seems to be that um, uh, it, everyone is Trump and that if you are Trump, then you're racist. And that basically it seems to be it. It's just so thin. And I don't know if, if even if he was going to sell that, that he would be the guy to sell it. And uh, you've got Glenn Youngkin, who is making the race about education, about critical race theory, about uh, unnecessary lockdowns, and uh, basically trying to build a much broader coalition. Just seems like total contrast in terms of quality of messaging. Yeah, I think that's I think that's very true. But remember, too, Alex, this is not just a political message. This is their theory of life. Right? This is that they they view life through a perspective of groups, not of individuals and liberty. Right? These. They, they, they want everything characterized by race. Even just last night, McAuliffe was talking about the fact that, boy, we just have too many white teachers in our school. Yeah. Uh, this, this, is, this, isn't something that, this isn't something that's in the tradition of America that we know Virginia's history, right? It's this amazing state where so many of our founders cut their teeth on ideas of freedom and liberty and individual autonomy and dignity. Uh, I think that still carries over today. And so even in these places where Republicans have struggled for not just the last two and four years, but for the last 10 and 15 years, people are saying, no, this is not who we are. And so I'm, I'm, I'm looking for a good outcome today. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, uh, you are now in charge also of the National Republican Redistricting Trust, which is such a big deal because this is a way to make the Democrats have more safe seats and to have them not be uh, contested by people who uh, oppose them at all politically. And then it's just a matter of organizing their money uh, and in order to preserve safe seats. Uh, tell us how important this initiative is and what your role is in it. So Governor Christie and I were asked to take on a task that, frankly, Republicans hadn't done for a long time. Uh, President Obama and Eric Holder have run a group uh, that for 
10 years has run circles around us. We were weak. We, we turned the other cheek, and we let them redraw lines all across America and gerrymandered districts in a way at the congressional level and, frankly, state legislative districts as well. Those are important, we can see, too. Uh, we decided we'd stand up and uh, account for uh, the Republican vision of a fair line so people could vote for the candidates that they that shared their value set. We have raised money. We have now built a team of professional lawyers. When the left does what they inevitably do, they will take these districts that matter and they will sue until they are blue. They will litigate. They will fight. They'll go to court. Yeah. And we just before we said, gosh, darn it, we're just going to settle. We said enough. We're, we're going to stand up to these. We've told state legislators, if you'll fight, we will fight alongside you. And so we've had great state legislators take real risk to make sure they get good, fair maps. These maps matter an awful lot, Alex. You know this. They last a decade, and they have a dispositive outcome in some cases on not only individual races, but on who can, who has the gavel, who gets to set the agenda. And we can't have Nancy Pelosi in charge. This agenda is too radical. And Governor Christie and I are working hard to make sure we get good, compact, constitutional districts that really represent the people of their particular region. Uh, what is your advice to Republican-led state legislatures around America on this matter? Uh, should they uh, fight? Is this one where you need to be diplomatic? Is this one where you want to be as tough as possible? Uh, how does it even work? No, this is a knife fight. This is this is some this is something that we cannot roll over and accept of the Obama holder vision for what America should look like. If you look at some of these districts, the map that the governor presented in Illinois, I mean, it's just sick. It's uh, it's it's often even even the federal district court threw it out in in a heartbeat. Um, wow. Though I tell every Republican state legislator, you you have to make sure these are good, decent maps that are that are right and fair. And when the left says no, we're not going to do that because they control the state legislature or these things they call quote independent end of quote commissions. But we have to, we have to stop them, and we will be there. You haven't had this before, but we'll be there. We'll be there with good, capable, skilled assistance, both rhetorically and legally, and the resources you need to fight. You won't be hung out to dry. You won't be left in the lurch. You won't, you won't lose without a fight. Uh, pick, pick up the cudgel, put your helmet on, get out there, and go get this right for the people you're tasked with representing. Yeah, that's and that's a, the exact message I think the grassroots conservatives need to hear. On an individual basis, what can people and audiences like this do to get involved? Make sure you know what's going on in redistricting and call your state assemblyman, your your uh, state representative, your state senator, whatever whatever you have in your state, and, and tell them, no, don't let Obama and Holder run you over. Don't cower in the corner. Go fight. Go make sure you get a district that works and actually delivers for the people that you are responsible for. Uh, you know, we just we watched this Holder-Obama debacle unfold and Governor Christie and I decided enough. We're going to go take this on. We've now been pretty successful at marshalling the resources. We now need every American understanding how important this redistricting is, not only for these congressional races, I said before, but we've all seen this, right? County commission seats, aldermen, city council races. These folks are drawing bad maps, unconstitutional maps, unfair, more importantly, unfair maps all across the country. We can't let that happen. Um, the wise words and definitely a worthy cause. Uh, I want to get back in the news a little bit. Uh, I was uh, watching uh, Tony Blinken again get what appeared to be yet another swirly from the Chinese uh, yesterday, and I, I know that um, he is your Democrat counterpart of you, the role you held previous to 
um, the Biden administration, the Secretary of State. And it does seem like he continues to accept the premise that America is a racist place, as the Chinese insist. I don't even know if the Chinese believe this, Secretary. I think they're just quoting Black Lives Matter to try to divide the country. And we seem to be going along with it. Uh, from watching from your vantage point, do you have any advice for your, the former secretary or any thoughts on what's going on? Or, or advice from the former you know, secretary to the current one? Uh, you know, I have advice for every American leader. The Chinese Communist Party is intent on becoming a global hegemon, and they want to change the way we live here in the United States. They want us to live in the way they do, with no religious freedom, with a massive surveillance state, with a Marxist-Leninist big government ideology where there's no such thing as a private company. That, that's the mission set that Xi Jinping and the Chinese leadership have. And when they use language like they used in Anchorage, where they quote BLM and they say that America's in decline and we're a racist nation, right? We can't because, because quote George Floyd, end of quote. We know that's not true. American leaders have to stand up for the central understandings that made our country so darn special. And we'll continue to do so for the next 250 years if we're not afraid. We never in the Trump administration apologized for the United States. We traveled the world. I traveled the world on behalf of President Trump and the American people, making the case that America is the most exceptional nation in the history of civilization, that we were going to put America first, and that we were going to deliver good outcomes for ourselves and for our friends and allies around the world. But they had to respect us, and they had to recognize that we were going to do the right thing for our own people. We, we, can't, we can't acknowledge what the Chinese Communist Party either Voiced upon us or actually believes that we are a nation in decline in a racist country. We're not. Well, it's untrue. And not only the Secretary of State, but every American leader needs to defend our nation. I would imagine that your top priorities probably diplomatically and geopolitically would be China, perhaps to a close second might be what's going on in Afghanistan with our botched pullout there. Uh, but I, it's clear what it is for the Biden administration. It's climate change. Or is it? We watched Joe Biden fall asleep during a climate change summit yesterday. You would think if it's really this threat to humanity, he would be able to stay awake. Um, and China's not there, the world's biggest polluter that is, you know, building coal-fired power plants as we're having this conversation. Um, your reaction to any of this? So let's talk about climate change. It is, in fact, their, the administration's top priority. They've said it is, and then, you know, who, who's the first senior American leader in the administration to meet with the Chinese? It's not Secretary Blinken. It's not President Biden. It's the climate czar, John Kerry. He meets with Vladimir Putin first. They are running around on the leading edge of their foreign policy, talking about climate change, sacrificing important American ideals and security interests for a lie, for a lie, from a promise from the Russians or a promise from the Chinese that they're going to reduce carbon emissions. They're, they're no more going to do that than a man in the moon. It's just not in their, their offing, right? You talked about building a coal-fired power plant. As we speak, they build one a week. These folks aren't going to do what the Biden team wants done. We, Biden team wants to destroy our economy in exchange for a, a pot of gold, this, this ephemeral idea that somehow we're going to get to net zero by 2050. Uh, this, is, this is foolish. It doesn't have to be. And to lead with this as foreign policy is an enormous national security mistake as well. These countries aren't going to make any change. We reduced our carbon output in our four years in the Trump administration in a way that no other country did. Not because we pulled out of the Paris Climate Accords, but in spite of that fact, right? We, we do it because right. we're a good, noble people with good technology, not because of some promise one makes at an international cocktail party that the president can't stay awake for. 
Mike Pompeo, former Secretary of State, he's also involved with candidates and backing certain candidates via CAVPAC, which you guys can go to CAVPAC.com to check that out. The co-chair, the National Republican Redistricting Trust with Chris Christie, important work. There, uh, last one for today. I, I, it's, there's going to be a lot of conversation probably for you over the next year or so, whether or not you'll run for president, even if Donald Trump runs. And I, I don't want to, we don't need to delve into that too much now. I'm sure we will in subsequent interviews. But it does seem like the media does want to divide you from President Trump uh, at the moment, it, whether you run or you both run. It does seem like the way the media is talking about it this week is that the, this seems like the agenda. Uh, are you picking up on that or is that just me? Yeah, no, Alex. Look, they're coming after they're coming after President Trump and I and our relationship. I have deep gratitude to him. They did it for four years, Alex. You saw it, right? Every time I'd go on TV, it wouldn't be about the important national security issue. It'd be like, sure, I'm a secretary. Well, President Trump said X. What did you agree with X? And they would try to divide and and create separation because they know uh, that the work that we did together was glorious and important and deeply inconsistent with their understanding of America and not the one that I think most Americans share. So, yeah, I, I've seen it. Uh, it's not going to work. It's not going to happen. For the moment, we are all focused on making sure that we win today in Virginia and next November all across America. When we do that and get that right, everything will fall into place. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, always appreciate the time. Thank you. Thank you, Alex. Sir. Have a good day. You too. We'll take a quick break. Come back. Next is our caller of the day segment. We always want to feature one of the callers from our vast radio audience at Sirius XM on the Patriot Channel, number 125, from our live daily show. And today, that caller is John from Virginia, who is upbeat, almost giggly, so excited about voting for Glenn Youngkin in Virginia today. And this is the type of attitude of a happy warrior. Let's play the clip. John from Virginia. So I was, was a second in line at the polls this morning here in the Old Dominion. And uh, I'll tell you, man, I, I feel a real groundswell. I, you know, you, you roll in at, at, uh, at 545 and there's nothing but don't tread on me stickers. And um, nice. I was walking, walking back out and a gentleman looks at me and goes, hey, we got to wear a mask. I said, F that. And, and he laughed and he, and he looked. He goes, oh, that's who I'm voting for, too. <laughs> So it's, yeah, um, it, it is interesting. There, the mass is another there. one of those things where it is kind of a signal at this point of what side you're on. Um, it's the it's it's interesting sure in my is. neck of the woods because there's some na- there's some restaurants, you know, that are they they do the absurd thing where you have to wear the mask for 20 seconds while you go sit down, and then you can sit there yeah. for 45 minutes without the mask. And then there are other places that don't make you wear it. And I, I can tell you which side the ownership is on politically based off of oh, that yeah. one little thing like you know for sure i have a good friend who's a restaurateur in in your neck of the woods and um and you know he's so fed up he can't you know he can't even spit but he's you know they get these these county or state inspectors that that you know come in with this agenda and you know they literally are trying to shut people down as we know for for not wearing a mask to the table and then taking it off it's insanity yeah and it's just the way of the world at the moment because you've got parts of the country that haven't unmasked for almost a year like florida's got the lowest cases right now so yep. uh, what are we, we supposed can't to let do? it be right we that's that's the that's my whole point we can't let it be we got to get after it and we got to we got to stamp our foot down because if you know if we can't make this a bellwether election in Virginia, then, I, then I'm not sure we can we can change the makeup of this country electorally any longer. But, uh, yeah. but like I said, I'm optimistic. 
But but you're saying the, the vibe, the energy was strong at the at the polls. Is your area typically moderate, left wing, right wing? Is there because Virginia's so diverse at this point and politically? Well, I, I give you, I give you. I'm I'm not far from you, brother. I, I we're I'm in the westernmost uh, part of Fairfax County, and we tend to we lean more red. It's more rural, you know, horse country. Um, but uh, but I you know it's it, there. It turns. Well, that's so good. I mean, the base turnout, the the base turnout is where where it all matters for the most part. But yeah, it's it's turning back out, and it's it's. I think we're leaning back the right way, and people are starting to wake up. That great silent majority isn't dead yet. So cool, exciting, Jonathan. Glad to hear you upbeat. I got American parts. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. I'm Alex Marlowe, editor in chief of Breitbart. .com and the Breitbart News Network. Check out our website. Check out the full three-hour show live 6 a.m. every morning. And most importantly, subscribe to the podcast. We'll see you tomorrow for another edition of the Breitbart News Daily Podcast. And I